Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is the beef. This is the beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. That's why we're giving small business owners a platform to share their stories. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is the Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. All right, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of The Beef. As always, I'm your host, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram. Make sure you're following me over there. We share everybody we have on our show right there on the Instagram page. We make it easy for you to support them and follow them. And then, of course, as always, you can find all the links at the bottom of the show notes for each podcast episode. That way you can find these companies so much easier. Support them. Support us. We appreciate you being here every single Thursday as we launch a new episode. Today in the studio, I have Michael Ford with Campfield's Creole Kitchen. Michael, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So, man, I know we talked about this before the show, but this man showed up. Let me tell you about his character. Andrew went out to an event. I think this was at the brewery in Waller, right? Yeah, Location 6. Yeah, and wanted some boudin balls that you make. And you forgot about them that next weekend. Yes, I did. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of my diet, I'm sitting here at the office and Andrew walks in with a to-go container full of pepper jack cheese stuffed boudin balls. Wow. That's all I can say, man. They were so good. But this man drove out here to Tomball to our headquarters to deliver some boudin balls that he forgot. And it wasn't even, Andrew was just trying to pay for some boudin balls. It wasn't even a big deal, you know? No, I just felt bad for him because... I told him that I was going to have him for him. He showed up. And I forgot. <laughs> so I was like, I told him next week, I got you. So that's why I showed up and brought it to him. And I'm going to tell our listeners right now, if you don't buy anything from this food truck, if you don't support him in any other way, you've got to find him and request these boudin balls. I appreciate it. Because they were good. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, that's how we got started off the boudin balls. Boudin balls, you know, just for family and friends and then... Words started getting out and kind of took off from now. Yeah. Oh, man. I can imagine. You know, honestly, that's, I think, how a lot of good businesses start is you just, you have something and then someone's like, bro, you need to sell this. Yes. yes. You know, like this shouldn't be just something you do for free. So that's awesome to hear. But as always, we start out with an icebreaker question. Right. So as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Be honest with you, my head was all over the place. I wanted to, one minute, I wanted to play professional football. Then I wanted to be an architect, paint cars. You know, I was just all over the place. I really didn't have a nothing set in stone what I wanted to do because I, you know, it, it changed like year to year. So I was like, it just whatever until I got a little older. That's when I really started focusing on cars. So I did that for a little bit and got out of it and started focusing on food. So. I found out the food is more what my passion is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you found out what you wanted to be later in life yeah. versus what you thought. Every time I hear a question like this, it takes me back to first grade. And I graduated from Waller High School. And my grandpa 
was the chief deputy of Waller County Sheriff's Office at the time. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, career day at the school. I was at Roberts Road Elementary School. And I was so proud because my grandpa was there in uniform talking about, you know, police right. work and what they do and had all these like little coloring pages and stuff set up. And we had to draw on this little like child figure looking poster board that was cut out, you know, to look like a kid. And we had to decorate it as what we wanted to be when we grew up. So, of course, I wanted to be a cop. That was my thing. But I tell you, I was destined for public service because ever since I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. And so when I graduated high school, I actually went to work for Harris County Sheriff's Office as a jailer. And that was the goal. I was going to become a police officer and be a sheriff's deputy out there on the road. And then some stuff happened and I wound up in fire and EMS. And I love it, man. I was a volunteer at the time with the fire department. And I just, I fell in love with firefighting and, you know, EMS. And it's not that cops are there to help. Don't get me wrong. Right. You know, but whenever you're on an ambulance or a fire truck, like there is no doubt. I'm not there to write a ticket. I'm not there to arrest you or enforce the law. I am there strictly to help you. And that is it. And I fell in love with it, man. So I went from volunteer fire to paid EMT to paid paramedic and then full circle. Now I'm a full-time paid fireman. Well, I appreciate then, your service. Oh man. I can't thank well, you enough for that. Yeah, yeah. It's a rewarding career, you right. know, but the thing is like you with the kitchen, my passion is still in fire, but I'm finding that I've been an entrepreneur for several years and that's where my true passion is. I think because I have so much control over where I go with that. Right. So I can make as much money as I want to make, as hard as I want to grind. I can, you know, do whatever job I want to do so long as I have a way to support it. And so it's just like, man, this is the way that it's been going. And Andrew and I started up our own company and then I'm working for him and we're making that come true. And see me, and that's why I wanted to do what I'm doing now because finding that freedom of, like you said, basically pretty much you work as hard as you want to work and you know, if you want to take a break, take a little break. But as long as you have enough to support that, you know, it's really no set schedule. And then for me, it's, since I'm just new getting into this, it's meeting new people. I love the networking part of it, you know. So it's, it's really fun. I mean, it's a little stressful, but more fun for me, you know. So Yeah, the networking part is amazing. Yeah. And talking about networking, that's actually how we met our sponsor, Community Bank of Texas. And they came on board and they've been a tremendous partner for us, helping us make this happen. You know, it's something we were going to do regardless, but without their support, it would have been a whole lot harder to get done. And Community Bank of Texas knows that especially now, the experience and availability of a banking partner is crucial. They're here to help your business and their bankers have been working diligently to give clients the support that they need during these challenging economic times. And as a business owner, you know, especially right now, that there's a lot of things that keep us up at night and our bank should not be one of them. When you bank with Community Bank of Texas, you have the freedom to focus on your business commitments instead of worrying about the commitment of your banker. They're proudly committed to partnering with you and your business through it all, short-term hurdles, long-term growth, countless new directions, because when it comes to doing business, Community Bank of Texas simply delivers a better banking experience. Community Bank of Texas is a foundation you can build your business on for decades to come. Community Bank of Texas, business banking, Better Banking, Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. But the reason we're here, Michael, man, tell us everything you want to tell us about where you started and how you came full circle to where you're at now. Okay. You know, by me moving to Houston, I was born and raised in Louisiana. 
And I moved to Houston right after I graduated from high school. You know, like I said, my focus before cooking was cars. So I went to UTI, graduated from there, did the Mercedes-Benz training, graduated 2005. And I've been in the car industry from 2006 up until 14. You know, I was became a painter. And then I found out, you know, my family have a history of cancer. So when I was painting, you know, the chemicals and stuff was getting to me. So I ain't wanted to really mess me up physically. So I just kind of got out of that. And so in the same time, while I was, you know, painting cars, I was doing the, the boot and balls and I was cooking, but I was just mainly just for my household and then a few friends and stuff like that. So I started doing, you know, venturing out a little bit more with that. So the boot and balls was got me started. And then we started doing crawfish. So one day my wife's friend, she called and asked, you know, how much are we selling the crawfish for? So we just kind of looked at each other like, what should we tell them? I'm like, I don't know, tell us something. So we sold it. And then next thing you know, the crawfish took off from there. So for the past four years, you know, we just been selling crawfish to friends and family. And then a few other people who contact us and reach out. But this this year, was, it was the year we started doing uh, markets and breweries. So, and then it just kind of really took off from there. And before then, we always did a little catering and, um, you know, parties, stuff like that. You know, just a little small time with it. But, you know, it was just one of those things where it just happened so fast. You know, it just, I'm still in shock, like, how this year, you know, finishing off because the past few years we always okay for crawfish season we'll we'll be pretty busy, but then we'll sell like lunch plates and stuff like that after crawfish season. But it wasn't consistent enough, so it was like I was starting to second guess myself of like should I keep on doing this or not. But then after that, it just took a turn and for the better. So I was able to quit my full time job to pursue this full time. So it's been good. That's a huge blessing, man, because I know entrepreneurship, there's so many people out there that want to open up a small business and that's the struggle they have. Like, you know, with me, I would work at Beefy Marketing full time right now, you know, and just have OMG Event Co. and build it from the ground up right now. But we didn't go the traditional route of, all right, let's secure, you know, a half a million dollar loan and let's, you know, put payroll in place and get all this stuff. We're building it from the ground up. Right. You know, out of a company that with COVID, I sold everything and was going to shut down the company. And then we revived it, rebranded it and did that whole thing. Oh, that's good. And it's hard because it's like, you know, man, when you have a full time salary and a family and kids, you can't just walk away and say, I'm going to make it. Right. You know, and I think most people would agree that if you're put under that kind of pressure, you're going to perform better and you're going to make it happen. But it's just not something I can risk. So that's a huge blessing that it was yeah, busy enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was afraid to take that leap of just do it, you know, because like I said, I had a secure paycheck, you know, insurance and all this other stuff going for 1K, everything going for me. And then knowing that every day I wake up to go to work, I wasn't happy. Mm. You know, while I'm at work 10, 11, 12 hours a day, I'm thinking about to the food, thinking about my business, what can I do to make that better? So then, you know, my wife, she was sitting out talking to me, she was like, why don't you just go ahead and, you know, and quit? 
So I thought about it. You know, I'm still a little hesitant, but yeah, I went on ahead and I did it. And honestly, I'm a lot more happier because I don't have that set schedule. You know, I have to take a lunch this time, that time. You know, I basically do what I want. But my thing is, since I quit, I mean, I'm not taking a break. I'm still going out there and trying to get more deals, more business. I guess business accounts, you could say, as far as like more breweries and other markets. We're still trying to, we still building our brand, as I should say. But, you know, it's, like I say, it's a little stressful at times, but I wouldn't change it for nothing else in the world, you know, because I'm my own boss now. And it's, to me, it feels good to say that 100% that I'm my own boss, you know, versus going to report to somebody. So I would have to say for anybody else that's thinking about doing it, you know, you're going to be afraid in the beginning, but it's worth, you know, especially if you believe in your brand and your product, you can't fail. You can't. Yeah. I mean, I know it's so cliche. They always say that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. But, you know, honestly, it's like even, you know, you made it when even your worst day where you're so busy or you're so scared of how you're going to get that next client or no matter how bad that day is, you know, you've made it Right. when you're like, you know what? It still beats a day job. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Cause you know, to compare one day of work, I worked 10 hours, you know, I used to work 10 hours over there, you know, at my old job. I make that on my own in three hours. So you mean tell me all the time I could have been doing this, you know, in a quarter of the time versus going over there working 10 hours and still not happy. So it's like, yeah, this is like a no brainer for me after that. See, it's tough for me because I've got both my passions. I have a passion for first response. You know, I want to be there for the community. I want to do that. But at the same time, it's just my heart is leading me toward full-time entrepreneurship and marketing and networking. And, you know, it's even in the fire department, we have our bad days. You know, at the time of this recording, it's been a bad week. You know, nothing on the department or any of my department members. It's just been, we lost a firefighter. It's been a, a rough week, you know. And it's tough when you show up to work and you're so happy to be there. But at the same time, when it comes to beefy marketing, when it comes to podcasting, when it comes to the event company, right. it doesn't feel like work. My most stressful moment is still like, man, once it takes off, you know, like we had a birthday party that we did. We had a video wall. We had red carpet, velvet ropes. We had a photo booth. We had a DJ. We had lights. We had fog. 13-year-old's birthday party. They wanted it to be like a club. <laughs> and it was so stressful because it was Andrew and I, and that was it. You know, we had, of course, a DJ there to uh, run that so that him and I could kind of handle everything else. And all the way up to the event, we're three, four hours early, and it was almost down to the wire. We had like 30 minutes after we set up, and that's it. And it was so stressful. But then when we saw it all in motion, we were like, dude, this is the, the coolest thing ever. You know, and it was so cool to see our company pull that off. And then everything went so smooth. We didn't even need to be there. We were just drinking with the parents and, you know, enjoying the party like we're one of the guests, you know, eating and everything else. And the DJ did all the work minus we helped them set up and all that stuff. And so it's like it's so cool when no matter what you do and how stressful it is, it all goes out the window. Yeah, it all pays off once you see everybody enjoying yourself, having a good time and stuff like that. Because I know last year... I've catered my first wedding, 
you know, 75, it was a small wedding, but 75 people. That's still a lot. Yeah. And the whole time I was cooking, I woke up at two in the morning, the whole time cooking, I'm just like, I just feel like the, I guess, anxiety or something, like the nervousness. I was like, I'm trying to talk to myself, like, Michael, what's wrong with you? You know, you do this all the time. I guess it was because of the fact that I put that extra stress on me of like, I want to make sure not only the bridal party happy, the you know, but everybody else happy. So I guess that the whole time up until everybody started eating the food, I was just my heart was just racing. So then once I started getting that first feedback, oh my God, the food is so good. Then I had another person, the food is so great. And then the boudin balls, man, what do you do with boudin balls? Stuff like that. I was like. <laughs> Okay, and so now I could calm down a little bit. Everybody was, you know, pretty happy about the food. So, you know, it's, like I say, it's, I understand, you know, the stress, then, you know, then, you know, everything come to an end. Or it's like, I guess you could calm down a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, I compare it to the first time I recorded a podcast. You know how you felt when you walked through the doors this morning. I compare it to when I was in high school, getting on a stage in front of, you know, hundreds of people to perform or at the Texas Thespian Convention, I performed in front of like 2,500 people and it, it was just butterflies in my stomach, you know, and it felt like my stomach was just doing flips. I was so nervous and it, I get that same feeling before every wedding, before every event, because in the back of my mind, I don't know about you, but I have these intrusive thoughts of like, Oh my God, what if I show up and none of my sound equipment works? Right. Or, you know, something catastrophic happens and nothing's working and then we're just totally screwed. And it's like, well, that's not going to happen. You have redundancies in place for a reason, but, you know, you know, your food is good. You know, when they finally eat that food, they're going to be happy. Right. So, and it's like, but still we're nervous for no reason. Yeah. It's just, you know, even though a lot of people comment on my food and say, oh man, the food is great. Food is good. This and that. But to me, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be, like, I'm harder on myself because I wanted to be perfect 100% all the time, you know, even not, even better than what I normally can do. So that's why I guess I'm always hard on myself. But everybody, you know, I know once they tried it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is legit, you know. So I, I want a lot of people over. I mean, and I, matter of fact, last night, you know, I had a customer stop me to tell me that my fried shrimp was better. I'm not going to name the, the restaurant, <laughs> but my fried shrimp was actually better than a big chain restaurant that's out here. And that doesn't shock me. Yeah. I was like, thank you so much for, you know, the comment that made my night. I mean, I know I always get a lot of good comments on my fried shrimp and the seafood in general, but when she told me it was better than a big chain restaurant, that just really... You know, made my head explode a little yeah. bit. I got real big hated, but yeah. Now I was, I'm still, you know, humble and you know, honored. and I was very thankful for the, the feedback. But yeah, I'm just trying to wait for 2022 and hopefully things are getting a lot better and bigger for me. You know, so for sure. So, have you ever had any formal training in culinary? No, not at all. So it's just a natural talent. Natural talent, basically. You were raised in Louisiana. That's your formal training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, yeah, my formal training was just as a kid, knowing how it was supposed to taste. You know, as far as like my grandmother cooking and you know all the women in my family. So I always know like, okay, if I don't get it to taste like this, it ain't good. So that was my training. So like when I'm cooking. 
if I don't get it to that level of better, you know, then I'm not going to serve it. You know, because I don't want to let, oh, it's all right. I don't want to, you know, I want, if somebody, if I'm catering a party or something like that, I want you to go to every dish and be like, is there something that's not good? That's the uh, reaction I'm trying to get out of here. I don't want to let, oh, that's all right. Yeah. My wife's favorite is when I say, she'll try something out, you know, just a new recipe or whatever. And I try it out. And if, if I like it, but like you said, it's just okay. I'll say, I like it. But it's not my favorite. Right. She hates it when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> it drives her nuts. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I like make it. I like it. You know, if we haven't had it in a while, I'll crave it or want it again. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Right. It's just not my favorite. And I know like me, I like to go to other Cajun Creole restaurants just to try out their food and stuff like that. So for our anniversary this year, we went to, again, I'm not going to name no restaurant, but we went to one in the Woodlands. And I ordered, like, I think jambalaya, red beans and rice, fish. And she ordered, I forgot what she ordered. So I get the food. Yeah, it smells good. But then I go to taste it, and I could feel her just looking at me. So I had my head down. <laughs> so I look up, and she just looking. And I was like, don't even say it. She was like, see, I told you, your food is better. I was like, yeah, I know. But still, it just, for me, it's like... Seeing where I'm at, for as competitor wise, like if I was opening up a storefront, how would I compete with this person, that person, this, you know? So that's why I like to go and check out other Cajun Creole restaurants because you know they say iron sharpen iron. So if I'm going out there thinking mine is good, but I'm not really comparing my food to nobody else, then how will I ever know, you know, where I stand? So that's why, and I told my wife, I said 2022. We definitely gonna join in uh, whatever crawfish cook-offs they have. Yes. We, I'm getting in it. I'm getting in it. And if you need a hype man yeah. and you need a DJ, <laughs> I'm your guy. Okay. All you gotta do is pay me in food and okay. alcohol. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come yeah. over there and we'll, we'll have the best tent yeah. out there. So I'm definitely trying to get in because like I said, I just wanna see where I stand with the crawfish or uh, whatever cook-offs they have for us, Cajun Creole food. I definitely want to get in it because, like I said, I've been doing crawfish for five years, and I'm in a couple of crawfish community groups on Facebook and stuff like that, and I see when they list places where they have good crawfish or great crawfish, all I got to do is look at the picture, and I can tell you, most of the places ain't good. Yeah. They're not, you know, but like I said, I'm not going to bash no crawfish place, whoever, because... That's not my place to do. I don't want to talk down on nobody. You know, I'm just going to hopefully I get my product out there so people can see. So now that we actually in with these breweries, hopefully my name will actually really get out there when it comes to the crawfish and well, for us, the other food, people are already kind of, you know, have been following us. They, they know how good that food is. But my thing now is the crawfish since it's just literally right around the corner. So I'm excited about that. My Louisiana culinary training comes from TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you ever seen Stale Cracker on TikTok? Uh-uh. Oh, you've got to watch this dude. I'm going to show you him before you leave the studio. His little catchphrase is, put that on a cracker, dude. <laughs> and he just, man, he'll sit there and make all these different recipes and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, got your own, your own powder. And you got. I think I heard of him. Yeah, I'm sure. He's a huge hit. I think I heard of him. Because the other one is a Cajun Ninja. He's, I don't know if you heard of him. Probably. I'm addicted to TikTok. 
I mean, he can cook because his, his favorite thing is paya, and he got the. I actually found his seasoning in, in HEB. It's called uh, Cajun Ninja, but he's pretty good. I don't know if Stale Cracker goes by that or not. Is he a white guy? Yeah. And he's got a belt on with his beer? No, nah, that's my He may different. not be silly except yeah. on TikTok. But yeah. the Paya sounds right. Yeah. I, I feel like I've heard that on his TikTok. Oh, okay. It might be. Man, he's hilarious. And I'll tell you, all joking aside, most of what I hear, I've got a couple of you know buddies of mine that are from Louisiana, and I work with them. He's a paramedic, one of them, and they also do just kind of on the side during crawfish season type thing. They make some crawfish and stuff, and he's like, it's so different the way that we make crawfish, the way you Texans make crawfish, and like you know, I mean, because for us, I think it's mainly just grab some crab boil and chunk it in a you know pot of water, and there you go. Yeah, because see, the very first time I went to a restaurant to get crawfish out here, and I got my platter, first thing I said was, what is this? <laughs> that was the first thing I oh, said. No. Yeah, what is this? You know, I see the, I mean, trust me, I'm not knocking how they do out here in Texas, but, you know, by me being from Louisiana all them years, eating crawfish the way we yeah. do, yeah, and but seeing how the powder was dusted on top of the crawfish. That's what I was going to mention. And a, but, a cup of butter, then a cup of season on the side. Like, it don't make sense to me because I'm like, you're not flavoring anything but the exactly. shell by throwing the dust on top. I can't stand that. People yeah. are like, oh, if you want it extra spicy, then I'll just put some on top. Yeah, I, I don't want know. my fingers spicy. <laughs> right. I want the meat spicy. Right. So for me, I think the big difference, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure I will be, is just how much goes into what you're boiling them in. Exactly. And see, that's why I tell people, good crawfish, once your crawfish is finished cooking, you just pull it straight out of the pot into the cooler. You don't have to do nothing else to it. And that's how my crawfish is. Once I'm done cooking, I don't pull no extra butter, season, nothing on top. Straight out of the pot into the cooler or on your platter, table, wherever you're going to eat it at. And my wife, we had went to a, another spot. I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to reveal no names. All these places, but we had went, and I told her, and then she said, "Oh yeah, they got really good crawfish." Oh, okay, let's go get some. And then when I saw how it was just drenched in sauce or whatever it was on top of it, I said, "Let me tell you something. This is not good." She was like, "What? What do you mean?" I said, "Whenever you see all this stuff on top, it's a cover up. It's not good." I was, I told her, "Good crawfish is in your water." You know, you pull it straight out of the pot. And then when she, when I made some, she was like, oh, yeah, I see the difference. So now she don't like going nowhere else to get crawfish but mine. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, that's I'll the still, bad part. Yeah, I still go and support other people, you know, for get crawfish and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, we'll just make our own crawfish and just enjoy it at the house, stuff like that. But, uh, did you meet the wife in Louisiana? Was she born and raised there nah, too? she was born here in Texas. Okay. It sounded right. like it. That's why you know, I asked. Nah, actually, we, believe it or not, we actually met in Whiskey River. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And it was crazy because the night we met, I wasn't supposed to go that night and she wasn't supposed to go that night. And we just- Fate. Yeah. So having to meet and we've just been together ever since. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. How old were you when you moved over to Texas? 18. Okay. By so myself. Fairly young. Yeah. Yeah. Just by moved myself. far away. No family, nothing. So it, it literally took me a while to get used to Texas. I'm like, sure. It took me a while. You know, it's like I always tell people who come from Louisiana, 
I would tell them, don't miss your exit. If you do, you better pack a lunch because it'll be a while before you get to the next one. <laughs> but yeah, it took me a while. Like it, it got to a point where I want to say after three years, four years of being here, and then I finally started getting used to it. But after that, it just, you know, it was just school, work, and go back to my apartment. And then I kind of went out a little bit here and there. But for the most part, I just didn't really care for it too much. But then yeah. actually I started meeting friends and stuff like that. And I was like, okay. I love Texas, man. Yeah. Honestly. Like, I know I'm biased because I'm born and raised. But yeah. there's just no state better. I love visiting Louisiana mainly because right. I love the food. Right. But Texas is where it's at for me. But, you know, to me, like, I was before Katrina happened because I actually moved out here before Katrina. Okay, so that was my next question. Was yeah. was it a hurricane thing or was nah, it? No, I was out here before Katrina. After like said, Rita? Be, no, before Rita. Okay, so yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. 2003, four, somewhere 2004, around like summer yeah. 2004, that's when I moved out here. Okay. Then Katrina happened in 2005 because I only had one month left in, in school. And I was, was going to start packing my, my things, my apartment stuff to go back. But then that's when Katrina happened. Mm, and just yeah. seeing the devastation. And then finally, when I went to go visit, it didn't feel like home no more. Yeah, it was just so tore up. I was like, wanted to go see my grandma and my family. Y'all didn't lose any family? Nah, not doing that. Nah. So I was just ready to come back. You know, it was like, and then you know, Rita happened. So I was like, well, I'm already out here. I already had my apartment. So then that's when my dad he went on here and started looking for a house out here. So we got a house out actually out here in Tomball. Okay. So I've been out here ever since. So like now, and then now I have a two-year-old son. So, and then I see how, honestly, how you say you love Texas. You know, I ain't like, this is a good state, a great state, matter of fact, as far as like job opportunities and education. And there's a lot more things to do out here in Texas. So I would, you know, want my son to get a education and stuff out here and better opportunities, you know. Because, I mean, Louisiana, it's a good state, but as far as, like, you know, on, on the school system level and, and job, I'd rather stay out here and, you know, then if he want to get older, move to Louisiana or whatever he want to do, I mean, by then you'll be your own man, so you do what you want, you know? Yeah. Did your whole family move over or just you? No, actually, scattered because I have an older sister. She lived in Dallas. I had to have an older brother live in on the, well, he lived in Houston, but he lived on the South Side. And then uh, most of my family members moved to Atlanta, you know, Florida. So we kind of like all over. And then my oldest brother, that's who I named my business after, Troy Camfield. You know, he passed away from cancer a few mm, years back. Sorry to hear that. And he passed away from cancer. So when he was out here, because like I said, at the time when you know I was getting in, you know, doing the boot and balls and starting my little catering stuff, I was trying to think of a name. For my business, and then you know, when I went to go visit him in the hospital down in uh, MD Anderson, and knowing that he only had, uh, you know, basically like a few weeks, maybe a month left to live, you know, because he was always into the food business too, and he wanted to open up his own restaurant, but he wanted to you know open it up and leave it for me and my brother and my sister. And I told him, I said, nah, you know, because he was getting a Settlement. So I said, just whatever, you know, just get that money to your kids. You know, we'll be okay. Your siblings are going to be okay. You know, just take care of your kids. So then right then and there, that's why I knew, okay, I got to dedicate this business to him. Yep. So that's how I came up with Campfield's Creole Kitchen. Because before that, I couldn't even think of a name. So then I was like, I got to, I have to 
do that for him because he's knowing that he only had a not not much longer to live. He still wanted to open up a restaurant and leave for us. So I was like, okay, I got dedicated to him. Yeah, so, do it, do it for him. Yeah. So that's how I came up with the name Campfields. I know we're off on a tangent, man, but there's just so much interesting history there. Yeah. So last and most important question is, who's the better drivers, Louisiana or Texas? <laughs> well, if you ask me, I would say Louisiana. But if you ask my wife, she would say Texas. Cause I told when I first moved out here, I said, man, they are horrible drivers. <laughs> and I was telling people, just you know, jokingly, I said, in order to be a good driver in Texas, you better break all the rules. Don't put on no signal lights to get over because they won't let you over stuff. Like, you no, know, just joking around and stuff. But I know my dad, he loved it out here because he was like, man, I love the way Texas drive. They be rolling. I was like, yeah, they drive That's fast. That's what I'm saying. They be- <laughs> See, now, if you're a listener or a supporter of Beefy Marketing or OMG Event Co. in Louisiana, y'all are better drivers. If you're a listener or supporter in Texas, yeah. whoever it is, I like you better. Right. If I'm being honest, driving to Florida and going down I-10. Yeah. Worst state I have to go through is Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Because nobody there, in my opinion, in my experience, nobody just gets out of the way. That's true. It's always just somebody. And I'm like, bro, if you don't get out of my way, (laughs) I'm about to ram this expedition so far. (laughs) But believe it or not, I believe Florida is worse. They're pretty bad. Yeah. They they are are pretty bad. They're worse. And the worst part about them are all them troopers that sit on I-10. Yeah. That uh, Northwest little peninsula panhandle, oh, yeah. Jesus, man, they are yeah. bad over there. Yeah, they are worse. Yeah, I mean, like for me, for us, like who's the better driver? I mean, although I'm already used to the way things work out here since I've been out now, here for so yeah. long. Yeah, but at first, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, like- <laughs> if you don't believe that the left lane is the fast lane, you're wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't care if it says 65, you better go 95. If it says 85, you better go 105. Yes, I agree. I definitely agree. We're we're crazy drivers. I will (laughs) say that. And it depends on what part of the state, too. That's true. Because, you know, again, if you're a Dallas resident listening right now, I love Dallas. But them people up there, they don't know how to drive. (laughs) Wow. And I don't like their freeways either. You know? I'm just trashing on all these potential listeners right now, but... (laughs) I don't even like the the way that they design their freeways. It just drives me nuts. Right. Me personally, I thought Dallas was so it's, it's cool coming to live out there in Dallas. So I mean, the few times I go visit, well, I just really jump on the the North Toka. She live in uh, Little Elm, so that's way oh yeah. North. So I just jump on that. I'm just pretty much hanging around that area. I like but, Fort Worth, man. Yeah, Fort Worth. I love it out there. We had an EMS conference there one year, and uh-huh. it was just. It's a cool town to be in. Yeah. So only a little, been a, I say, but. Yeah, I've been to Fort Worth only once. So I, I really, I mean, the one time I've been out there, the only street I remember is what, Fox Street or something like that. The In-N-Out Burger is that. That's oh, all. okay. <laughs> but yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Overhyped. I don't like them. <laughs> you know, yeah, I would have to agree. Like, I'll eat it. It's good, but I think it's overhyped. The fries are horrible. It's not my favorite. Yeah, it's <laughs> horrible. All right. Well, I mean, back to why we're actually here. Camp Fields, man. Tell us what you offer and where to find you. Okay. Well, you know, basically, I'll, you know, offer. I'm cooking. I try to authentic Cajun Creole food. You know, Louisiana style cooking, where you find your crawfish etouffee, jambalaya, dirty rice, fried fish, pastas, whatever you want, shrimp, boudin balls. That's a big hit. You know, we cater 
parties. Well, right now, we're just doing like small parties, small weddings, office parties, gatherings, whatever you need. If you want to just, hey, can I just get a pan of boudin balls? We'll do that as well. And speaking of which, for New Year's, since there's going to be a lot of New Year's Eve parties, I'm actually going to start pre-packaging like bite-sized boudin balls. So if anybody available, you know, want to order some, you can find me, you know, contact us on uh, Facebook, Campfields Creole Kitchen, also Instagram, Campfields Creole Kitchen. Then our email address is Campfields Creole Kitchen at gmail.com. So feel free to contact us and let us know if you're interested in a party tray or whatever. We could send over a menu or whatever you might be interested in. Also, the phone number is 504-407-1760. That's how you can get a hold of us if, you know, you don't want to reach out to uh, Instagram or Facebook. So I know, obviously, it's going to range depending on what they order. Oh, yeah. But just an average range on your price per head for an event, you know, price per plate. Oh, I mean, just ballpark, so I can give them an idea. If I'm ordering from you, am I going to be spending $7, as little as $7 a plate, or is it going to be average $10, $15, $20 a plate? I would say, depending on what you get, minimum, probably $10 a plate. Okay. But, you know, especially, of course, seafood is going yeah, up. Yeah, seafood's crazy. Well, not on that. I mean, you know, and we hate to go up on our prices, but... Since everything in the store is going up, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, we're going to have to go up. So just kind of a heads up. Look now. Yeah. Well, now you say for the end of this year, but beginning of the year, we're actually going to bump up our prices just because, you know, everything else is going up. Like even milk, all this stuff is going up. So even the cooking all, I'm like, like, it's crazy. So, I mean, we really hate to go up on the price, but it's not going to be, you know, Put a hole in your pocket going up, but you know, just maybe an extra dollar or so just on the prices of catering options, or whatever. You know, we're still gonna try to make it as reasonable as possible. It's not bad for a specialty right. plate like that, you know, because you're not just getting. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love barbecue. Right. Well, we got a nice barbecue trailer for our event company, uh-huh. but it's not barbecue. It's not, which even that's gone up with beef and everything else. But, you know, it's not just your regular average everyday hamburgers, pizzas, you know, this is a specialty item. Right. So where do y'all source all your food from and ingredients from? Like we go, like far as where I get them from. Right. Yeah. Like where do you buy, you know, if I'm ordering from you, do you just run to H-E-B or what do you got? Well, yeah, depending on how big it is and like what it is. Yeah. We just go to H-E-B and, since we're not real big time and we don't have a whole lot of storage space, so yeah, we just like let's say, like for example, I have to cater somebody's stuff tomorrow, so I'm gonna go get the stuff tonight, and you know prep everything, wake up early in the morning and cook it. That way, she getting it fresh, you know. So it just depends on you know how big, or how small the order is. Like let's say if, if you was to contact me, hey, could I have a tray of boudin balls by? Five o'clock at night, six o'clock for a party or something like that. Then okay, cool. If I don't have anything going on, yeah, I'll just run and run, go get my supplies, and then you know make the boudin and go and and get it. You know, have it to you. So, do y'all have set like measurements and recipes, or do you just throw it on there until you know it's enough? I'm getting better about that. <laughs> <laughs> so for us, like my seasonings, for us, like the fish. Well, the seafood, we have 
different ones, one for the seafood, one for the chicken and stuff like that. We have a set measurement. So that's why everybody be like, oh my God, it's so good. And the consistency of it, yeah, because I had to fine tune that and, and tweak that. But now I just started, as far as my chicken, like we just started doing chicken tenders. Now, well, we did chicken tenders in the past, but I feel like it was still missing something. So now, just recently, we started doing chicken tenders again, and the compliments I've been getting on that. So it's like now I'm tr still trying to fine tune and tweak it to where, okay, if I add this amount, you know, on my chicken and stuff like that, it would be the, the same no matter what. But I had people tell me my chicken tenders was better than the fast food chain chicken tenders. I mean, you know which one that is. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've been getting some good comments on that. Compliments on that. So I'll name drop. I need you to come out with a spicy chicken sandwich so you can compete with last year's competition between Popeyes and uh, Chick fil A. You know, a customer last night told me that I need to do a spicy chicken yes. sandwich because when they ate my chicken tenders last night, they were like, This is the best I ever had. So I was like, Okay. So yeah, me and my wife, we were talking uh, because we're going to start bringing back the po' boys and, um, uh, now, I might start, start doing burgers for like some breweries where we go to where it's kind of slow set of kind of instead of always having the same, you know, fried shrimp basket, fried fish, food and ball, stuff like that. Just kind of switch it up. Just have like a sandwich night, like pull boys, burgers, and then now we're going to start doing the chicken sandwiches. So I'm about to find you on that then because I'll tell you, spices, if it's not spicy, I feel like I don't taste it. Right. I like to have a lot of spice on anything I eat. But see, I think like when they told me about that last night that they wanted spicy chicken, I was like, I already have it had in my head what I would do because they, I want to say they sell like a real hot chicken fry. I don't have to go back and double check. But then also I don't just use like just fish fry. Like I also add flour and then I add seasoning to the flour, so I mix it. You up. have to. So yeah. I, I mix it all together. So you be like, like you want to know what I put in it? I mean, I'm, of course, I'm not gonna say what I'm put in it, but that's why people <laughs> give us a like, secret recipe right now over like the air. People, they were like, man, this is the like. It's crazy how people always say this is the best shrimp I ever had, like uh, best fish I've had. Like, what do you do to it? It's like. Uh, that's my little secret, and I'm going to keep it that way. You yeah. Know? You know, that's something my grandma taught me, too, when frying. Uh, mainly, it was, I guess, probably fried chicken. And that's what she told me. She said, the secret is you got to mix up, season your chicken, and let that, you know, marinate for a minute while you're seasoning your flour. And get your flour seasoned, too. That way, whenever you're eating that breading on it, oh, yeah. that's you get why, the flavors there, too. I mean, I'll tell you a little tip that I'll do. Like, let's say if I have an event. Or it's like tomorrow, I'll like my chicken. I'll go ahead and season that the night before, and just let it sit overnight. So then, once I'm going to whatever event, it's still all them juices and seasoning and spices. It's locked all in there. So then, once I go to fry, I mean nothing but flavor all in your mouth. You know, so it's just yeah. you know that's how it should be. Matter of fact, you know, I mean I ain't gonna just. Well, and I know a lot of places what they do for their wings. Like, I actually season my wings. A lot of places what they do, they'll just take and fry, and then you let that sauce be the cover-up for as they flavor. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't know that, you know, so. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I got to have flavor in everything yeah. I eat. Like, I went to a restaurant the other day, and it's a well-known restaurant. And I just knew when I walked in, I was going to be disappointed. Yeah. Because it's just that old style uh -huh. of cooking. 
and it was just like only thing I taste is salt. That's it. And like, there's nothing else. Don't get me wrong. It's great. You know, as far as it's good food, it's good quality food, but man, I need more flavor than just the gravy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah. just eat the gravy. And well, another thing, I mean, since you brought it, like, uh, it's kind of like a Texas, Louisiana thing. You know, I know one thing a lot of people in Forest, Texas, they think you have to put okra in gumbo. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, especially before, they're like, do they have okra in it? Uh, I'm like, no. And they, I guess they don't think it's going to be good, but, you know, and I got to tell my wife, if you give 10 people the same exact recipe, it's still going to come out different. Yep. Still going to come out different. So everybody that make gumbo, you know, Texas, Louisiana, you know, basically gumbo, you put whatever you want in there, you know, so you don't have to put, I mean, you have your standard stuff you put in there. Right. But like if you want okra, you put okra. You don't want okra, you don't have to put okra. So gumbo is not like, oh my God, you don't have okra and it's going to be, I mean, you don't have okra and it's going to be nasty. No, it's, it's, that's not the case. All right. Well, local breweries, we can go support you there. Grab a plate. Yes, sir. Uh, obviously, Instagram. All of your information is shared in our page on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere that we can find you, as well as, you know, the episode art that people saw before they listened to this episode. All that stuff's going to be shared, so it's easy to go out there and support him. Anything else we can do to support you besides, obviously, book you at our next party? <laughs> you know, I'll be happy, you know, people support me. If you just like my page, I'll just hit a like, uh, hit the share button. You don't much have to spend no money with me. Just share my product, you know, just... Help me expand my brand and, and get bigger and get known out there. That's all I ask. We preach that all the time. Yeah. You can walk out with a $100 bill from your food truck or yeah. you can spend $0.00 and zero cents yeah. by just hitting like and share. Yeah. That's what I do. And especially now since like we do a lot of markets, we also kind of help. Well, not kind of, but we try to help out other people that's you know trying to grow their business. So, Whenever they share something, we'll like it and share it and just try to help spread the word because at the end of the day, everybody have the same goal, just trying to get big and do go full-time with their own business. So, you know, that's why, I mean, that's all I ask. Just even if you don't want to support me, just hit a like button. I mean, I'll be grateful for that, you know? No doubt. Well, Michael, thank you for being in the podcast studio today with me, man. I appreciate all this talk about me. food. I got to go get something to eat. I am <laughs> hey, starving. I'm, I'm about to take my wife and son out to lunch uh, myself, but I am so honored and grateful that, you know, you guys wanted me on your podcast. The food was too good not to. Yeah. And we have the same goal in mind, man. <laughs> the whole thing, Community Bank of Texas, Beefy Marketing, the Beef Podcast, John the Marketer, we want to support other small businesses. Okay. We're all in this together, you right. know, and if we can just support each other and help each other grow, man, there'll be plenty to go around. Yes, sir. And of course, listeners, thank you for tuning in every single Thursday to a new episode of the Beef Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and I hope that you get out there and support them. You have to try those pepper jack cheese stuffed boudin balls. They're amazing. Beyond that, just get out there, support his page. Make sure you keep coming back every single Thursday for another business, whether they're local or nationwide. If you have somebody that you think needs to be on this show, then please reach out, get us their information. Let's get them out here. And as always, you can check us out at beefymarketing.com or on the Instagram page, Facebook page, John the Marketer. Hit us up. I'm out. 
You've been listening to The Beef Podcast, sponsored by Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef.